0: Well, what an interesting week in politics. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not talking about all those people who thought it was a local council elections a week ago in Toowoomba. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Is it the council elections today? No, that's the Lockyer Valley. Well, Barnaby Joyce. Some of you go, do we have to talk about this? Like, everyone has just been talking about it for the whole... Week. I mean, we've had these debates, haven't we, about whether someone's private life affects the discharge of their public duties. You know, the last week or so we've seen the tragedy of families broken. That is a tragedy, isn't it? And uh, reputations in uh, tatters. Uh, there's a story of Barnaby and what he's done, uh, which is a story of unfaithfulness. There's a political kind of cashing in on Barnaby Joyce and the story there, there's a question mark in there, comes up whenever you go to a counselling kind of thing, it's always like there's a power differential between you and someone else and some people when they, it's unethical to take advantage of a power differential so a boss shouldn't be doing that with their employee, there's been a little bit of that this week. But the story within the story this week has been the beat up on marriage hasn't it? I mean, it's just, whenever you have stuff like this go public, it's just a beat up on marriage. You know, every unfaithfulness is a beat up on marriage. That's what it is. Married at first sight is a beat up on marriage. It just is. Like, to do something like that, I mean, I I think Reality TV shows are like the ancient gladiators, you know. We just kind of put them in the ring together and put the cameras on and we all watch and we see who's left standing at the end of it. The marriage equality campaign was a beat up on marriage. See, I've made this clear in the last few weeks that I think it's a dangerous thing to say that the only way people can be equal is by having equal opportunities. I don't think that's the only way people can be equal. It's a messy place to go, but I'm not going to go into that. (laughs) Abusive spouses who abuse their partners abuse marriage. Unhappy marriages where spouses don't die to themselves and love one another are a beat up on marriage. De facto relationships before marriage, cohabitation, are a beat up on marriage. You know, in 2015-16, the ABS uh, reports that 81% of people cohabitated before they got married, of all marriages. So here's the bottom line. If you are going to just be serious about valuing marriage and treating it as very, very important and significant and sex as being significant, I'll just letting you know, you're just going to be way in the minority, way in the minority. If you're going to be someone these days that says, I'm not going to live together with my future marriage partner. I mean, I actually think it's really lame. You know, sometimes I hear about couples where they like living together, but they don't want to get married. And usually it's the man that doesn't want to do it. And I just think that's really pathetic. Like you, you want to have everything, but you don't want to make the commitment. Like really? Like legally? The publicity of celebrity bust-ups, moral failures like Tiger Woods's, back in the day and the absence of the same level of publicity about good marriages is a beat up on marriage, isn't it? Where are the news stories about the dude and his wife that stayed married and loved each other till the day that they died and they were married for like 55, 60 years? It doesn't make it, does it? Because it's boring isn't it? It's kind of like boring news. And that's like the most awesomest news, that's not even a word. It's the most awesomest news ever that a dude would actually stay married to his wife and she would stay married to him and they'd work their stuff out and still love each other till the day they die for like 60 years. Is anyone with me? Yeah, come on. Now, the thing about me talking about this today, and this is I've said this heaps of times, right? It's really hard to celebrate anything in the church without some people feeling pained, all right? It doesn't matter what it is. When you celebrate Father's Day and there's a whole bunch of people who've had a bad dad or they've had a dad that's passed away and so it's sad for them. You celebrate Mother's Day. There's people who can't have kids. You celebrate marriage and there's a whole bunch of people who've ended up on the wrong side of it. But I want to do something just for a moment and please... Bear with me if you've had a, a painful experience with uh, with marriage because uh, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I just want to honour people who are hanging in there, all right? I remember uh, hearing he was an um, international downhill skiing champion. Um, and it's, it's I probably shouldn't even tell the story because it'll undo a lot of what I'm saying today, but... He, uh, he decided, he, he went to the Winter Olympics. His name was Alberto Tomba, I think his name was. And he went to the Winter Olympics years ago and he uh, decided the night before his first run that he was just going to go out and get on the alcohol and get with the girls, alright? And uh, the next day he, um, he did his run and he was like one of the favourites, like to win the gold medal and he came like 25th or something in his race. Like it was like the worst run ever and he's just kind of worked out, okay, everything that I've just done was like the dumbest thing to do. And now I'm actually going to put in a decent effort. So he really focused in. And his next run was an amazing run. I mean, he came in the top three or four uh, overall. So he just, he just had this amazing run. And one of the, the statements that he made after it, he, said, he says, a man is not finished when he's defeated. A man is only finished when he leaves the arena. And you know, setting aside Alberto Tomber's moral failures, there's a fair bit of truth about that when it comes to marriage, right? Because there can be just a whole bunch of very defeating moments in marriage. But a large part of marriage, I think, is just turning up. <laughs> you know? And tomorrow, so I go, well, I'm just going to turn up tomorrow. You know, I remember, you know, when I got married, I thought, man, the thought... Like it blew the fuses in my head, um, you know, to, to work out how to do marriage for 50 years. Like That just blew the fuses in my head. I don't even know what that means. But, um, and, and I mean this really, really deeply. It's like one of the, th- one of the places I got to is like, I am, every tomorrow, I'm going to stay married to you. <laughs> every tomorrow that comes. And tomorrow, I'm going to stay married to you. And I'm going to turn up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to wake up. And we're going to do it again tomorrow. You with me? And that's, that's how you get, I think, 50 or 60 years of people being married is they keep turning up tomorrow. And that, I think that, for me personally, that was really important. So here we go. I just want to take a moment here. We're just going to have a little bit of audience participation here. Can you just stand up if you've been married for at least five years? Can you just stand up? There you are. Okay. Can you stay standing... If you've been married, that's good, right? Isn't this good? Yeah. Stay standing if you've been married for at least 10 years. Sorry? We're not getting into that, all right? You can stay up if you want. Stay standing if you've been married for 20 years. Now listen. Listen. We're starting to get into the veteran category at this point, all right? Isn't this good? I mean, isn't this good that we've just got a bunch of people still married at 20 years? Okay, stay standing if you've been married for more than 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, come on, round of applause for them. Okay, you can grab a seat. Well, I know, you, know, you know we've got some people in the church that literally stayed married until their spouse died, you know. And that's, uh, that's what we're gunning for, right? That's what we're gunning for. It's one thing to celebrate the length of marriage. I mean, who knows it needs to be about quality as well. <laughs> it's not just about staying together. It's actually about being together. So, don't hear me criticising anyone who hasn't, who's come out on the wrong end of marriage. I just, I just wanted to honour us just to take a couple of minutes and honour people who keep turning up and have got the opportunity to keep doing that. I mean, at the end of the day, no one gets divorced because it's a fun thing to do. Every divorce is, is brutal. But, A marriage requires two people who keep turning up and love one another and sacrifice for one another. So some of you might be thinking, okay, uh, where are we going? What's the point of all of this, Peter? Um, I I mean, I think one of the amazing things about marriage is in spite of all the beat-ups on marriage, it keeps happening. (laughs) People are still doing it. You know, the, the rates of marriage are generally pretty steady. 2015 was a bit of a dip year in terms of the number of people that got married. 2016, according to the ABS, there are 118,401 marriages. You know, and you could ask a question like, in spite of everything that's kind of beating up on marriage, why are people still doing it? Do they do it for love, for happiness, because it's romantic? I mean, those questions start to ask or force us to reflect, I guess, on um, what is what's the purpose of marriage. You know, is, is the highest purpose of marriage that people are happy and content? Is that, is that like, the, like if you had to nail down, like what's the, what are we all aiming for? You know, I, we're down at this course Wednesday to Thursday this week and um, it just, it really struck me that knowing some details about how humanity's been created and who God is and what's going on with people, just makes your starting point a lot more certain and sure you listen to secular counselors who don't have that starting point and they do a lot of good work but they're kind of trying to grab things and trying to work out how things work you know it's a bit like that with marriage it's like man we have some really clear helpful understanding of what marriage is about. amen And I'll tell you something, I mean John Piper said marriage is not mainly about being in love and it's not. It's not mainly about being in love. It's not mainly about you having a happy life. It's not mainly about a lot of things and most things that people say marriage is about. It's about something better than that. Something greater than that. So can you grab your Bibles? We're going to go to Ephesians 5, uh, 25 to 33. If you don't have one, you're welcome to go and Sneak up the back and grab one. If you don't have a Bible at home, just take that one with you. Pick a newer one up the back there if you want to take one home. That's what I'd suggest. Ephesians 5. We're just going to read the whole section here about marriage. Here's the bottom line. The point, the ultimate purpose of marriage is that your marriage would be a living parable of Jesus' love for his people. All right? That's the ultimate objective of your marriage. Okay? So when you go home and you get really upset because your spouse just kind of sinned against you and they did something that hurt you, you actually are in a really, really sweet place to be like Jesus loving the church because you can forgive them and give grace. All right? But if you're thinking about the fact that the main thing about marriage is you being happy and you getting what you think that you need, that's going to be a problem for you. Does everyone, everyone get what I'm saying? Purpose is really important. Let's read 25 For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The husband and the wife, if you're looking at this passage here, are really really close you know the the wife is not a possession of the husband it's really really clear go to verse 28 and 29 there it's clear that the wife is not a possession of the husband the husband is to love the wife as his own body in a sense they've been fused together as a single entity now I'm a manual arts teacher by background and when I um we did a little bit of this, uh, this kind of, working with this kind of material down in, uh, in New South Wales. They do a lot more of, more of it in Queensland than they do in New South Wales. That's where I was trained. But came up here and in schools up here there's a lot of work with plastics and, and acrylics in, in particular. I mean that was one of the things that uh, we would work with. And uh, when uh, they trained me uh, at uni when I was doing my design and technology teacher's course, course, they talked about different ways that you could glue acrylic, okay. Now, one way that you can glue acrylic is with? Glue. Excellent. All right. So this is araldite. You could actually take araldite, you could take a bunch of things, you could put some glue on it and you could stick it together, right? But fundamentally what's going on there is you've got one piece and another piece, you put some glue in between and they stick. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about when I'm talking about araldite. There's another way that they taught us how you could glue Acrylic together, and that was using a solvent-based adhesive. And you know what the solvent-based adhesive did? It actually melted the two parts, in a sense, it melted the two parts of the acrylic so that when you put them together, they actually became one piece of plastic. Do you see that? That's what marriage is, all right? Marriage is not two individuals glued together. It's actually two people that become one. One. Now, who's ever heard a, uh, a male, usually males say this, they say, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Have you ever, has anyone ever heard that? Happy wife, happy life. And of course, all the wives love that, all right? Because straight up, what they hear there is they just kind of hear, okay, so if I keep my wife happy, then I can get what I want, which is kind of what it means. Some of you guys go, "No, that's not what I mean. I mean Paul in Ephesians 5. That's what I mean when I say that. <laughs> I'm witnessing and evangelising people by saying that everywhere I go. You see, what Paul's actually saying here is in marriage, two people actually become one and happy wife, happy life, happy husband, happy life takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Because it's not just about keeping an individual happy, it's like all of a sudden, we're all the same body. We're all kind of connected together in this thing you see when you are married and you love your wife in a literal sense you're loving yourself that's what Paul's saying because you're one you're one together and Paul's going to say you can see in the text that we just looked at before it's like he's going man whoever hated their own flesh (laughs) if you become one whoever didn't look after your own flesh and some of you go, well, I know some people who don't, and they've got a problem. All right, anybody who doesn't do that's got a problem. We identify that they've got a problem. I mean, you're, you're looking pretty good today. Well, you could smile about it, but yeah, right? Now, a bunch of you had showers this morning. You probably don't stink too much. All right, you're probably wearing clothes that were washed. You had breakfast, probably. Some of you would like to have a coffee. Some of you had a coffee. you get what I'm saying? Like, you you just do it. I mean, that's what Paul's kind of saying here. He's just going, it's just a natural thing. You just, you look after yourself. You look after your body and Paul's going, hey, here's the thing. When they become one flesh, you look after yourself. You look after yourself. Now, can you just go to verse 31 there? It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Flesh. Do you know what Paul's talking about there? Is he's talking about sex, I think. He's talking about sex. When he talks about becoming one flesh, he's talking about sex. He's talking about two people becoming one physically. This is our understanding of sexuality. All right? Sexuality is there for the purposes of a husband and a wife being one flesh And it's not just a physical act. I mean, seriously, our culture does so much violence to sex by saying that you can separate it and it can just be a physical thing. Like, I can do whatever I want with my own body. Sex is you joining yourself to someone. It's you at your most physically vulnerable joining yourself to someone. It has a far, far deeper significance than some kind of pleasurable physical act. Can you come across to uh, one Corinthians six with me? One Corinthians six. We could read this whole section, and uh, one day I'll preach through Corinthians, and that will be a fun day. All right, because there's lots of cool stuff that happens in there, and uh, you'll be really interested, and uh, your curiosity will be uh, stoked up a little. I I suggest, but. Suffice to say at this point, we're just going to go to verse 16. Listen to this about casual sex, all right? Non-husband and wife sex. Do you not know, this is 1 Corinthians six sixteen. do you not know that he who is joined, which actually could be translated, holds fast, all right, a.k.a. Genesis 2, 24, a.k.a. Ephesians 5, Leave and cleave. Is everyone with me? Okay. Do you not know that he who, is, who holds fast to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. If you go and have sex with a prostitute, you're becoming one flesh with her or him. There's more going on than just a physical act. Now, I've had a married person that's attended this church tell me that they'd seen a couple of prostitutes earlier in the year. It felt like they needed to tell someone. They hadn't told their wife at the time. And they weren't witnessing to them, <laughs> all right? They weren't seeing them to witness to them, right? They'd seen a couple of prostitutes. Now, listen, let me just say this. That doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm not even saying that from the point of view of the fact that it's evil. And like, don't don't be doing that, all right? Don't be doing that. But it doesn't make any sense. Like if sex is about oneness between a husband and a wife, why would you go and do it with a prostitute? Why would you go and do it with someone who isn't your wife? Like it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I've heard people talk about soul ties and like... You know, it's not just a physical thing, all right? It's not just a physical thing. I think what Paul's actually doing here is he displays a psychological insight into sexuality, which is pretty exceptional by first century standards. You with me? He knows that there's more going on and that God has kind of revealed this to him. Now, what I want to do uh, just at this point is transition across because Paul's kind of making the analogy about marriage for the sake of what Christ is to you and to me. Marriage is not ultimate in this whole thing. Marriage is to serve a greater thing, which is Christ's love for the church. And so the question that we could ask at this point in time is this. How do I know that God loves me and will look after me? When the answer for the wife, in a sense, is how will I know that my husband will look after me? You know how you know? Because you're one flesh and you love your own body, right? So the obvious answer there at that point is like for every doubt that you've ever had about whether God is going to look after you and whether he'll come for you, whether he'll save you, you know what the answer is? You are part of his body. Like he's so intrinsically kind of connected to you that you never even have to worry about that. The natural law that a husband would look after his own body and so would look after his wife works for Christ. He's the head, you're the body, Jesus and the church are close. Is that that the right way to put it? That Jesus and the church are close? Because I want to suggest to you probably not. (laughs) Because they're actually closer than close. All right, because close implies that there's two people and we're sitting next to each other we're holding hands, we've got our arms around each other that's what close kind of implies right? the kind of close that we have with Christ here the kind of close that husbands and wives have isn't a kind of sitting next to each other closeness this is a, a oneness closeness more than close so tell me in your body where does your head stop and your body start? Yeah, scientists are going to go, yeah, we can work that out. All right, let's go. Okay, we'll separate them and let's see how you go. All right. <laughs> you know, you're guaranteed that he will care for you. You're not just an add-on for him. You're not just bolted on. You are in. Way better than just being in the in group. You are so crazily in. Now, let's finish with this and then I'm just going to get really practical for the last little bit. Paul speaks in the second last verse of a mystery. Do you know what I reckon the mystery is that's being spoken of in verse 32? The mystery of the ages. I reckon this is it. I reckon until Jesus came, no one really understood the significance of what marriage was the full significance of it, right? There was a mystery that was hidden for thousands of years and it was that marriage was a living parable, a living story that's meant to be kicking around in our culture and across the universe in a sense. That message is meant to go out to the universe of Christ's love for his church, hidden for so long but revealed in Jesus. This is the ultimate purpose of your marriage, to do that. And I think, uh, let me just throw a couple of things around as we lead into getting really practical. We learn how to be one with our spouse by being one with Jesus, because we've become one with Him. And we learn about how to be one with Jesus a little bit by what it's like to be one with our spouse. Okay? And do do you know why that last little bit works? It it kind of works because people often say things like this. They just go, well, it'd be really nice if I could touch and see Jesus. You ever thought that? Now, straight up, I would just encourage you, like, don't be so sure that it would go well for you, all right? Because a lot of people just want to kill him, okay? And it didn't seem to make that much difference. So just be a little bit careful with that one straight off the bat, all right? But I do think that there's... relating as one with Christ and relating as one with your spouse have got a lot of similarities, but there's a a few differences, all right? Like you can't touch him, you can't put your arm around him. So there's a lot of overlap, and I think that when it comes to, I mean, what we're talking about with marriage is we're talking about the, the next closest relationship that exists after you and Christ, all right? So how can looking at that and the way that that, either is or the way that it ought to be, help us to learn about how to be one with Christ and vice versa. Now, I think there's a similarity between your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with Jesus in this sense as well. Just stay with me on this one. When you got married, you became one, with your spouse. But marriage is the process of becoming one, isn't it? And actually operating as one. So in a sense, you are one, but you're really in practice becoming one. When you became a Christian, God made you one with Him. He kind of grafted you in. He kind of, you were in at that point, right? But who knows that the rest of your life is about working out how to keep in step with Him and be one with Him in the practicalities right so this is a big kind of mega theme in the scriptures all right becoming what you are you are one so be one (laughs) well you can say that about marriage you are one so be one you say it about your relationship with christ you are one so be one now before we get into the practicalities of what we can do here I'm sure that we're all pretty aware of uh, some of the dynamics at play that make two becoming one difficult and hazardous in a marriage and also with regard to being one with Christ. Clearly sin's one of those, turning from God. It has an isolating, corrupting, selfishness-inspiring effect. It's it's got a self-worshipping centre. It's kind of me first, it's my kingdom. And that doesn't go well with trying to be one with anyone. All right, Jesus or your spouse. Shame's another one. You think about shame. You think about Adam and Eve in Genesis three. What are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you. Naked and not ashamed is a good place to become one. And fellows, I'm not talking about that. All right, naked and not ashamed is a good place to become one. And it will necessarily involve sex, but I'm not talking predominantly about that. The problem is as sin comes into the world, shame comes into the world, and people start hiding. We hide from God, we hide from ourselves, and we hide from each other. That's really hard to be one with someone who you're hiding from. Are you with me? But here's the bottom line. Marriage now has become like the sweetest place for Jesus, and Jesus is kind of love to be expressed, doesn't it? I mean, sin's not cool. We just like corruption and sin is just way uncool, all right? But here's the bottom line. Marriage now with two imperfect people becomes such an incredibly sweet place for two people who are fallen and pretty pathetic a bunch of times to be real with each other in their shame and to find grace and mercy... And love covering it. Amen? Who's who's with me? We kinda are, aren't we? We're kinda not, maybe. Conceptually it's like, yeah, I'm up for that, right? But that's really hard. Like when someone sins against you, when they hurt you, to actually provide and to offer the love of Jesus in the middle of that is pretty tough. So let me finish as quickly as I can with some tips. For both being one with your spouse and being one with Jesus. Here's the first one. Spend time with them. I'll start with Jesus. Mark 1.35 And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. I want to say to you this morning that there is a mystery of oneness with Christ that you, man, no one here understands the majesty and the wonder of that. But I tell you, you're not going to get there unless you hang out with it. Okay? You're just not going to get there. So don't go to Koorong and buy the five-minute devotions in the morning. Okay? So you're going to have a really good marriage. If you get up in the morning, you go, right up, clock's on, you've got five minutes, and the rest of the time I'm doing other things. All right? You need to hang out with God. I mean, Jesus prayed, didn't he? He spent time with his father. I'm going to refer to another scripture in a minute where it it talks about it being his custom. He would just go and hang out with him. And I don't think he stopped hanging out with him during the day. He just kind of kept hanging out with him. He was just kind of with him. You know, what do you do when you hang out with people? We'll get to this in a minute. But one of the things you do is you talk to them. But sometimes you don't talk to them. I mean, have you ever gone out with your spouse and you just don't have that much to talk about? Or you just sit on a step somewhere and you watch a sunset and you're not even talking. I mean, one of the functions of a healthy relationship is that you can just be in each other's presence and you don't have to be talking all the time, but you're just with each other. You know, I think that is the kind of thing that we need to make space for in our lives with God. You know, we we are, sometimes, some of us, maybe none of you are like me, and bless you if you're not like me. I think we can get pretty good at scheduling God and just kind of clocking on and off with Him, you know? It's like He's some kind of... It's a, younger people, here haven't even got a clue what I'm talking about here, but like it's a dial-up modem, you know, where you've got to dial up and make a connection instead of broadband where it's just always on, you know? And then you make space for it. I don't know. Like, do you make, do you make time to spend with God where you don't have any particular purpose. Because <laughs> you know what, if you were doing a relationship with someone, there would be times where you'd spend time with them and you wouldn't have any particular agenda, but they might have something they might, they might want to do, they might want to talk to you about. They might, might want to work on something. Let me speak to being one well with your spouse for a moment. Do you take your spouse out? Do you have time with your spouse where you're just with them? There's no particular objective. You don't even have to spend money. Do you go for a walk because you just want to go for a walk with them and you want to be with them? You know, genuine deep relationship with your spouse is not an on-demand streaming service, all right, where you can just go and just click start and the thing starts. You know, you you just, you need to hang out with each other. You need to be with each other and you need to have as your objective to be with each other. Now, you can arrange to have a date night every week if that's your thing, all right? Uh, I'm cool and let me encourage you, if you like, do a regular kind of date night each week, I'll just, you go for it, right? It's never been my wife and I's deal, all right? It's not kind of our thing, okay? We like to be a little bit more spontaneous, But if you want to be more spontaneous, you've got to stay on the hammer and make sure that you're actually doing time together. Otherwise, it'll slip away. Do you know, to this day, I never have ever asked my wife to go out with me. I just haven't. I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. Just saying. Does anyone else think that? Especially in a school. It's like a kid goes to the girl that he likes. He says, will you go out with me? He doesn't have a car, doesn't have a house, doesn't really have any money. And she's going, "Why where, where are we? Well, we're not going anywhere until mum takes me somewhere. And it just gets, is that all with me? Like it just gets weird. Like the whole dating thing, I think is kind of weird. It's kind of a pseudo marriage without it. And literally, I, I've never asked like, will you go out with me? To Angela. Do you know what I did? Is I said, hey, uh, why don't we just go and do something? And we just kept doing things. And then eventually, I asked her to marry me. And she said yes and I was very pleased, <laughs> very pleased. But here's the bottom line, why did I bring that up? I brought that up because we lean into just doing stuff together. We don't, we're not big on this like every Tuesday night we're having date night, right? That If that works for you, you go for it, for us, no. Nah. all right? But I'll tell you what you've got to do if you don't do that kind of thing, you really just need to lean in and make sure that you're spending time With your spouse all right you got to be around Uh, that's what relationship and being one is about you just can't short circuit that you can't leapfrog it you've just got to do it all right and it'll be great and i'm sure many of you do it already but it's just a simple practical reminder you want to be one with jesus functionally and practically hang out with him lots you want to be one with your spouse hang out with them lots all right And don't just be doing stuff all the time and talking about plans and organising things. Do some stuff where you hang out together for the sake of just being together. Here's the second one. Talk to them. You know, people say things like this sometimes. They say, I feel really distant from God. And like they haven't read their Bible for months. They haven't read any Christian books for months. They haven't been going to church. They haven't prayed really about anything other than getting God to do stuff for them. They haven't had a relational conversation with God since they can remember. Or they like, I've got a slot here and God needs to fit into my slot of time that I've got. You know, if, if we did with God what we do, uh, some of us, let me just, I'll give you a wrap, all right? If, if we did with God, if we did that to our spouses, where we just said, I'm having devotions for 25 minutes in the morning and then I'm going to go to work and I'm going to get on to work. Do, do, you get, do you get to think, like if you did that to your wife or your husband, that's, that's not going to be a particularly fruitful marriage, is it? Are you with me? Like, you, like that's kind of scheduling him. Now, the marriage thing is like a pointer to a greater, bigger thing. So, so I don't know, do you, do you talk to him? Do you tell him about you and where you're up to? And, and some of you go, yeah, but he already knows, right? And here's the error in your thinking there, if I can just throw that out there. Talking to God is not predominantly about the communication of information. It's about you doing friendship with him and being personal with him. You don't tell God what happened in your day because he doesn't know. You tell him what happened in your day because you want him to know you. You see the difference? And some of you are going, I don't even tell God what happened in my day. Well, you should. Just tell him. Because that's what happens when you get home and your wife or your husband goes, how was your day? Even then, I don't think your wife or your husband is asking you how your day was because they actually need information from you. They're asking you how your day was because they want to know you. They want to know what happened in your day. They want to know how it rolled. So why wouldn't you do that to God? Why wouldn't you just pull up at the end of the day and just tell him how your day went? You know it's I'd love to go into it some more but we're going to go over time. You know God speaks in so many different ways, doesn't he? It's not like we just have a conversation and it bounces off the ceiling. I mean, man, I mean we have we are blessed with the scriptures, aren't we? I'm massively blessed. When you think about the people in the Bible and how much what part of the Bible they had. And we just got the whole thing. You know, and he just wants to speak to us through that, through the spirit. Man, huge opportunities. Let me speak quickly to spouse. When was the last time that you had a really good personal conversation where you actually got to look into each other's souls? When it wasn't about organising the kids or working out how to make your schedule work or working out making date claimers and all that sort of stuff. You know, I heard someone report on a marriage a little while ago where they uh someone that I was talking with was uh trying to help a couple with their marriage and uh I mean it was just it was in a it was a mess and uh the obvious obvious question is like how are these people still together because there was some physicality to it it was just messy and you know what the answer was the answer was uh they can't afford to live separately. <laughs> you know, did and it raises a question like, is I mean, sometimes you can slip into a business relationship with your spouse, right? It's like it's just, it, we've worked out out to make it work, but we're not really at a deep heart kind of soul level connecting. We want to do better than that, don't we? Is anyone with me? The riches are beyond that. We want to do better than that. And I think God calls us to do better than that. All right, here we go. I've got to hurry up. Tell your spouse something new every day. And, and here's the big question behind it. What are you going to do to help your spouse get to know you more today than they did yesterday? Now, some of the blokes are going, Oh, you're going to tell me we've got to share our feelings with each other. All right? And that drives me insane. I mean, that happened this week. They're talking about blokes need to be. Sharing their feelings more often, I'm just going, no, they don't have to be sharing their feelings more. But I think they do need to be sharing who they are more. Let's just do that. And that might involve some feelings, because blokes do have feelings, by the way, just so you know. It's community service. What I'm talking about here is telling them something about you that they don't know. And the the truth is that a lot of blokes, and I'm not picking on you blokes, but a lot of blokes have got a whole internal world that goes on that no one else ever knows about. All right? And it just is. It's just there. You know, and I I just made, I made the commitment a little while ago personally. I just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to tomorrow, I'm just going to share something with my wife that, she wouldn't normally know and, and I'm not talking about a big kind of egregious kind of sin or whatever, I'm just saying I'm just going to share something about Peter and who he is that she doesn't know yet. Something small. And, and I would just encourage you as married couples make that a, a really achievable objective, like just tell them something that they wouldn't know about you unless you told them, alright? Because the way they actually two become one is that the two persons get to know each other and they Stick together there. Does, it, does that make sense? And then look at this in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. God wants to know about your day. And he doesn't need to get information from you. He wants to know you. So why don't you just talk to him and tell him about stuff. You know, the kind of know up here is like a personal knowledge. It's not an intellectual knowledge. God wants to know you in the details of your life, in the middle of your day. And he wants to know the context, he wants to know the pain, he just wants to know everything. Just a full connection between you and him. Way too much text on this one, but here we go. Number four, say sorry often. 1 John 1 verse 5 to 9, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You just you're going to need to be saying sorry really regularly to Jesus. and see, Like, is it that some of you going, well, I'm not comfortable with that. All right, Well, you better get comfortable because you're a fallen human and you better just do it all the time. I mean, Luther said all of life is, is repentance. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is turning around and fixing up a relationship that you just trashed because of the way that you acted. So you say sorry lots. And you know what you could even say sorry for? Here we go, here's a tip for you. You could say sorry that you're not sorry. <laughs> True, right? Sometimes it's like we want the, you know, we want the angels to be singing and uh, the glow of light and someone's sinner to be on their knees and and forget that a lot of times it's a process, right? And it's like... With Jesus, you might just need to go to him and say, listen, I've just done something I'm not sorry about. And I'm really sorry that I'm not sorry. I don't even know how to be sorry. Sin, in, es- in essence, is divisive and it always separates and isolates people. It corrupts and divides. Every time that you sin against your spouse, every time you have a conflict, that looms large. It's a, it's a large threat. And you know, a really good way to kind of Hose down um, that kind of relational fire is to say sorry. And even if even if you don't know what to say sorry about, you could just say sorry that you're in the middle of a situation where you don't know what and you don't know what to do about it. You know, there's sometimes uh, there's been many many times I'm sure in all of our the people who are married here well you've done things wrong and you've sinned against your spouse and you just don't even see it you can't even see you don't even know it yeah you could be sorry about not even seeing the thing that you just did <laughs> and maybe that's maybe that's coming down the track going to um, skip the last one that might come out some other time and I want to finish here how do I keep going when my spouse is not doing what I want how do I keep going when my spouse is not giving me the love that I deserve or the love even perhaps that you feel like you need I did some marriage counseling with a couple a while ago and I remember talking to the husband And he was lamenting how difficult it was living with his wife because she wasn't being particularly helpful in a whole bunch of areas that were really important for him. And you know what I asked him? I asked him, I said, mate, here's the big question for you about where you're up to at the moment. The big question for you is what is going to enable you to love your wife in the middle of a wilderness, in the middle of a desert? And here's the bottom line, every single marriage goes through times of wilderness and times of desert. And it's actually at those times of wilderness and desert where you showing the love of Christ becomes the most critical, but it's actually the hardest thing to do a lot of the times. anyone know what I'm talking about? It is going to be the most important thing for your marriage, but it's going to be the hardest thing for you to do because what's going to happen in that moment is your self is going to become it's, it's it'll be like you've just sculled a cup of uh, monosodium glutamate you know and you just you've been to a thousand chinese restaurants and you, you know when you come away thirsty and it's like and your soul is just so thirsty and it needs it needs it needs and i can't and it's like ah like that does anyone know what i'm talking about i can't do this i can't love you unless you help me i can't love you unless You give me what I feel like I need to have right now. I just can't do it. That's where this guy was at. And I'm convinced that's where every marriage goes from time to time. And so it is a critical question. It's a critical question for you. It's a critical question for me. It's a critical question for every single person who's married is when I get right in the middle of the wilderness, right in the middle of the desert, and I'm parched, and I'm dry, and what's most needed in my relationship is that I provide the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus right in the middle of the failure and the hard bit, how on earth am I going to do that? Do you know how you do it? You have to get your energy and your strength from Jesus' love for you because he will never ever do to you what your spouse does to you in a negative way he will never ever do that he will never let you down and he has made it so ridiculously clear to you that every single knee that you will ever have he's got those sorted out he's paid for them on the cross there's mercies that are new every morning and every single promise of God is a sure thing in Christ Jesus amen and so when you get in the middle of a desert and a wilderness am I saying it's not hard absolutely not I'm saying it's crazy hard but you have to not look to your spouse to get what you need to love them. You have to look to Christ because he will always love you the way that you need him to love you so that you can love people who are hard to love. And who knows that we're all hard to love sometimes. People who are hard to love, who have failed, who are hiding in shame, who are corrupted by sin, who are isolated and lost, desperately need the kind of love that Jesus gives It's just hard to give it to them unless you are plugged in so deeply in union with Christ and you are one with Christ that you are drawing everything you need from him so that you can give in a situation that is making you bankrupt in a sense. You can give in the middle of that. We're going to have communion. So I might just invite the um, the worship team to come up. When communion today, and I, I, I trust it's obvious why we're having communion today. Because um, that's what communion is, right? It's, it's an ingesting, it's a, it's a taking of bread and juice that says, Christ be in me and create and stir up in me union with you. Bring that union with you inside of me and stir up in me a love for other people. Let it be a, a wellspring of life, in a sense, inside of you that stirs you up to love other people, to love your spouse. Now trust, if you're, if you're not married here today, there's lots of take-home for you today. Alright, there's lots of take-away. And learn what you can about how to relate to Christ. And let the, by faith, I mean this is what we believe about communion, that it's a It's a sacrament, and so a sacrament is the intermingling of the physical and the spiritual. And as we take this this bread and this juice by faith, trusting in Him that He would nourish us, that He would be what we need. And if you're in the middle of a tough situation with your wife or your husband, it's good to take communion today. It's not good to take it if you don't like Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. So don't take it today if you don't like Jesus and you don't love him. Is this, this is like I just want to be one with you. Like this juice and this bread is going to become one with my body. Let us be one like that. So just take, take a couple of minutes. The scriptures say to examine yourself before communion. Take a couple of minutes just to pray and to think about it. You feel free if you're just not in the right place today to, um, to let it pass. You feel free to do that. just take a few moments to yourself and just pray and and, and search your heart prepare yourself so that you can say openly and wholeheartedly i want to be one with you jesus let this be a representation of that